A reading from 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verses 12 through 23. And it was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the Ark of God. So David went and brought up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the Ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the Ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, it's uh, such a joy uh, to be here with all of you. And I uh, just wanted to thank you all for being so welcoming to our entire family and and welcoming us so warmly, and we're uh, very much excited for this next season in the life of our family, and, and also for Emmanuel. Uh, we're really looking forward to what God has in store for us, and it's also uh, such a humble privilege to be able to preach today and to share uh, what God has for us uh, this morning. Uh, before getting into our text, uh, let's just uh, pause to pray for just a, a moment. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for meeting us here today. We pray that your spirit would give us understanding, uh, help us to uh, be drawn to you. May these words that we have just heard, uh, that they would not just simply be words, but that uh, they are truly words of life, uh, and that it would give us true, abundant life uh, today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, one of the many truths that uh, Christians all over the world and across history that they have agreed on uh, is the fact that God is present everywhere, that he is omnipresent. And, and not only is he present everywhere, but we've, we've also learned that he's a relational God, that he, he wants to know us in a very real and intimate way. And so uh, God's beautiful design uh, is such that we were made for connection, not for isolation. 
We were made to be in relationship to God, to one another, and not to be alone by ourselves. But the reality is that uh, this, this connection is not something that we always experience, uh, whether we consider ourselves Christian or not. Uh, this, this weekend at a retreat, we, we considered this topic of loneliness, uh, something that is a common shared human experience. Uh, and even though it may be true that God is present everywhere, uh, it might not feel like that is true all the time. And especially when we are confronted with how broken our world is. So we might have friends who are battling cancer. Uh, we might have these ongoing conflicts at work or with our neighbors. We might still be grieving the loss uh, of a loved one. And it's in these moments of heaviness that we might ask ourselves, God, where are you? And in our passage today, we're going to see that God, he was present with his people, uh, but not everyone found his presence to be meaningful. And so we're going to look at three things this morning. First, the joy of presence. Secondly, the pain of absence. And then lastly, connecting to God's presence. So, so first, the joy of presence. Uh, at the beginning of the book of 2 Samuel, we see that uh, David has now succeeded Saul as the new king of Israel, and he establishes Jerusalem as the new capital city. And one of the very first priorities that David has is that he wants to bring the Ark of God into uh, the city. The Ark of God, or also known as the Ark of the Covenant, it was made during the time of Moses. It was this uh, wooden chest that was overlaid with gold. It contained the Ten Commandments, and it was this uh, visible symbol of God's presence with the people of Israel. Now, going back one book in 1 Samuel, uh, one of the things that we learned in that book is that there was this uh, contentious relationship between Israel and one of their neighbors, uh, the Philistines. And at one point, the Philistines, they defeat the Israelites uh, in a battle, and as a result, they, they take from them the Ark of God. But as a result, wherever the Ark of God went amongst the Philistines, it afflicted all these kinds of physical ailments amongst them, so much so that the Philistines just wanted to return the Ark of God back to the Israelites. And then fast forward to when uh, King David now is assuming his role, he is now wanting to take the Ark of God and bring it into Jerusalem so that it has a new permanent home. And that's where our, pa our passage begins in verse 12. And as, as we see David bringing the Ark of God into the city of Jerusalem, the scene is full of celebration. It looks like there's this uh, glorious new chapter of Israel just in unfolding right before our eyes. We see that King David, he's the new king, Jerusalem, the new capital city, and then the Ark of God, presence of God is one and among the people of Israel. And, and notice how David celebrates. In, in verse 14 says, and David danced before the Lord with all his might. One of the things that we notice about David in this passage is that he, he's not celebrating because of the fact that he's the new 
king, but he is celebrating because the ark of God, the presence of God is right there with them. And notice what he's wearing. The text says that he's wearing a linen ephod, which was this long rectangular like garment uh, that's kind of like an apron. Uh, and it was worn by priests during that time. And so kings don't wear ephods. And, and yet David, he puts on this, this ephod and we see him doing these priest-like activities. He's offering sacrifices. He's, he's blessing the people. Essentially, he's doing the work of connecting people to God himself. And another thing that we notice is that this was not a spur of the moment decision uh, for David to do all of these things. In verse 17, it says, and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And so before this celebration had even began, David prepared for the ark's arrival. He pitched the tent for where it would go. And so David's priority was to make ready the new home for the Ark of God, not to rush back to assume his kingly role. And so everything that we notice David doing here was preparing for the Ark's arrival. He's also dancing in the streets. He's blessing the people. And he's doing all these things because he wants God to take center stage. And so for those of us who uh, consider ourselves Christian, uh, how much does God take up this much priority in our own lives? How is he taking center stage? And and this is why gathering like this for corporate worship, it's so vital to the Christian life because it's this weekly rhythm that we get to participate in. Every single element of our worship service is really helping us to reorient ourselves, to center God again. We, we open with a call to worship, reminding us that, that it, w- it was God who invited us all here. It wasn't so much that we thought, oh, this is a good idea for us to do. There, there are times where we have sung praises to God. The, the words that we sing are not just about are not about how good we are. We we always take time to confess, to repent of our sins, acknowledging the fact that we are desperately in need of God's rescue. And we always leave from here with a, a beautiful word of blessing, the benediction, a reminder of where God is sending us out, but he's also going to be with us always. And so friends, in in what ways do do we celebrate? Do we rejoice in the fact that God is present with us? In in what ways might we need to reorient ourselves to, to center God in our lives? And so for David, when we see him, his utter joy was from the fact that he was in the presence of God. It didn't matter that he's the new king. But there was one person who did not share in this excitement. And that was David's wife, Michael. 
And so David, he experienced the joy of God's presence. But now we'll see, secondly, that Michael experienced the pain of absence. In verse 16, it says, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And then verse 20, And David returned to bless his household, but Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So in this scene of of celebration, uh, everyone's attention is on the ark of God. But for Michael, her attention is on David and, and only David. We know that Michael, uh, she was the the daughter of Saul, the the king before David, and and she loved David, and they eventually got married. But one of the things that we know about Saul and and David was they had a a very conflicting relationship, uh, so much so that Saul repeatedly tried to take David's life. And there was even one moment where this was this was happening and Michael helps David escape and flee from, from Saul. And David goes on the run and after that point, their marriage was never the same. And so when Michael sees David coming back to Jerusalem, she might be in a state of pain. You know, I wonder if she's longing to, to be with her husband again. And it doesn't look like David is all that excited to see Michael. He's dancing in the streets, blessing the people. And so the text goes on to say that she despised him in her heart. And there there was another layer to her pain, perhaps. Remember, she was the daughter of Saul. So she probably knew the ins and outs of, of royalty culture. And so she sees King David leaping, um, oh, sorry, uh, wearing an ephod when he should be wearing royal robes, something more fitting for a king. He's leaping and dancing in the streets when he should be sitting on his throne. He's, he seems to be, uh, or what she thinks, is that he's flirting with all the women, but he should be ruling over Israel. And so Michael, she's utterly furious, embarrassed, she's disgusted, because when she sees David, she does not see her husband. She does not see her king, but maybe she sees a complete fool. And all the while, she misses the fact that the ark of God, the presence of God, is right in front of her. But isn't it true that when we are deep in pain, that it can completely warp our view of reality. You know, G and I, we endured through a painful season when we miscarried our first child. And that experience colored everything for us at that time. During that season, you know, to the average person who's watching commercials about diapers on TV, it's pretty harmless, 
but for us, there were these painful reminders of our loss. That year, we were invited to multiple baby showers. And showing up to those events, it took all kinds of effort to say things like, I'm so happy for you. When we are in pain, it clouds everything that's around us. And so for Michael, I wonder if that's what she was in. She couldn't see all the celebration. She was deep in pain. And then David responds to Michael in verse 21 when he says, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. Now, there's a part of me that wants to say, come on, David, read the room. <laughs> you know, there's nothing untrue in what David says. Yes, he is the new king, chosen king of Israel. Yes, it's so evident that God is his ultimate priority, and he doesn't care about how everyone else thinks. But there's something about it that just seems a little bit heartless, right? especially when the text says that David intended to bless his household. And then our passage ends with verse 23. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now, when we consider the story of Michael, it's utterly tragic. In this context, and things are not much different today, that childbearing was so tied to a woman's identity and sense of worth. To be barren was utterly shameful. And perhaps even more so for someone like Michael, because she, she was no ordinary woman. She is the wife of a king who has no child. And so where is there hope and good news for Michael? What about those of us who might identify with her where it feels like God and the rest of the world just, just feels like everyone's against us? In this passage, we see that David, he temporarily stops being a king, and he takes on the role of a priest for the people of Israel. The job of the priest, they were to connect people to God. And what better way for David to do this than to bring the ark of God into the city of Jerusalem? But in some ways, there was one person that David missed, and that was his wife. Michael. Now, David was a, a notable priest, but he's not perfect. You know, in some ways, perhaps David failed to be a priest to the one person he should have been a priest to. But thankfully, the story doesn't end here because this passage shows us that there is someone who is even better than David. And that leads us to our final point, connecting to God's presence. 
centuries later, after this takes place, God would send another priest. He would send his own son, Jesus Christ, to connect us to God in, in a meaningful way. When we, when we think back to the beginning of creation, Adam and Eve, they experienced perfect shalom. Uh, this Hebrew word for peace, which isn't just simply the absence of conflict, but it's this robust vision of, of harmony, uh, of flourishing, of where everything is beautifully connected to one another. All of us to God, to each other, to ourselves, to the world. But sadly, we, we know that this beautiful experience of shalom where God was present, the world was teeming with life, that shalom was shattered when Adam and Eve sinned. The world hasn't been the same ever since. And so this is why during the, during the times of the Old Testament, the job of the priests was so crucial because they helped connect God to a sinful people. The priests would offer sacrifices time and time again to make payment for the sin of, of, of the people so that there could be a connection back to God. But there was no priest good enough. There was no sacrifice that was ever perfect enough to sustain this connection. But when Jesus came into our world, he would eventually become that perfect sacrifice that everyone longed for. Because when he came, the day finally arrived when the need to sacrifice would finally stop. Jesus would lay down his life to be that perfect sacrifice when he died on the cross, paying the full price of our sin, consequences of our sin and so in many ways Jesus experienced the pain of God's absence so that we could experience the joy of God's presence and through his death Jesus would reconcile all things to himself start the process of restoring that beautiful shalom that was there at the very beginning of time and so what kind of God would do this? What kind of God would subject himself to go into the throes of hell and back? And this is why the gospel is good news, because Jesus would take up the fullness of our sin, the fullness of the brokenness of our world, so that when we are faced with the evil in this world, and when we are asking God, where are you? Jesus responds and he says, I am here. I am not leaving. I know what you are going through and I'm going to put an end to all of this. And we know this is true because Jesus would eventually rise from the dead. The pain and brokenness of our sin did not keep Jesus in the grave, but he arose to break the power of sin and death that is over us. And then Jesus, he would eventually ascend to heaven, giving us then the, uh, the promise of his Holy Spirit so that God would truly be with us always. 
And there's that beautiful promise that we have where God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And so the life and the death, the resurrection of Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And so Jesus is the true, he's the perfect priest. He's the perfect sacrifice to help us come back into the presence of God. And so knowing that this is true, it is good and right for us to to celebrate, to delight, to take great joy in the fact that the presence of God is, is with us. We have been reconnected to the God of the universe. And to sing, to maybe even dance a little bit. And so friends, we are invited to savor God's presence, to delight in Jesus's work for us, and to celebrate the uh, the Holy Spirit in our lives. But at the same time, uh, let's not keep this just for ourselves. As we think about our experience here at at the retreat, Uh, and even this morning, uh, in what ways might God be calling you to gift the presence of God to someone else? How might we embody the presence of God for the good of others? And so why don't we think about where we live, where we go to school, where we are for work, and to think about where might the presence of God be needed? Where might it be lacking? And then how how can, can we be a community that is on the lookout, wherever we are, for the pain of God's absence? And then perhaps go into those spaces so that the joy of God's presence could come alive for those around us. So friends, the good news is that the presence of God is with us. He is not going away. And so let us rightfully celebrate. Let us rightfully delight in that truth and savor that reality. Jesus, the perfect priest, has connected us back to God himself. And also, may we consider how we can embody the presence of God, go out into those places of pain and brokenness so that more of the world could experience the joy of God's presence. Amen. Uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for not only this morning, but also this weekend, and the constant reminders of how you are with us. And God, what a, what a beautiful gift it is of you being present with us always. That there was nothing so terrible that we could do that you would turn away. But God, you drew near. You sent your son, Jesus, to come be among us to be one of us. And he was that true, perfect sacrifice, that true, perfect priest to allow us to be in connection with you and to be able to experience what things ought to have been from the very beginning. And so God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that he has done 
to bring your presence into our lives. And God, I do pray that we would, we would savor and delight in this every day. We would not lose sight of the fact that you are here and you are near, you are with us. And that we would also gift this to those around us. May we be a gift to those in our, in our city, in our world, who, who need to experience your presence. And so God, give us eyes to see where those might need a taste of the Lord. Send us out, O oh God, and as you do so, may we also be full of your presence. Thank you, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.